Hello and welcome to the podcast for Vineyard Church Cardiff. Today, Paul is finishing our series, The Pursuit of Holiness, looking at how we can start to partner with the Spirit in walking out holiness in our lives. Hey, it's uh, great to be with you again today. Uh, I'm finishing our The Pursuit of Holiness series, which we've had loads of great feedback from uh, over the last few weeks. So I'm really glad you've, you've been enjoying it. Uh, if, if you have been blessed by this, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, I, what I'd say is, if you have missed any of the talks so far, uh, as always, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to them, but even more so with this series because uh, each of the preachers that we've done really builds on the last one. And so uh, as I'm talking today, as I'm closing out the series, uh, I'm going to be building on some of the foundational stuff that we've talked about over the last three weeks. And so I really don't want you to have missed out on that content if you've missed those talks. So I'd really encourage you just the last last three weeks uh, on the Sunday service on YouTube or on the podcast, just go back onto the last three weeks uh, and have a listen because over that time, we've covered some amazing things. We've covered what holiness is, and we've covered how holiness is God's best for us and not his burden for us, that God invites us this gracious invitation to be holy as he is holy. And then we've also looked at how we're all entangled with these sinful desires that wage war uh, with the godly desires in us as well. And then Alice last week unpacked uh, that the Holy Spirit is key to transforming us uh, to become holy like God is holy. So yeah, we'd really encourage you, go back and listen to that because this is what I'm going to be building off of today. And you know, normally as I preach, I would preach from you know, one passage, I'd have a core passage that I'm preaching from, maybe reflect on a couple of others as well. But today what I'm going to be doing is drawing on uh, a few of the passages that we've looked at across this whole series. So we're not going to be rooted in just one passage, but we're going to be across Romans 6, Galatians 5 and 1 John especially. So let me just pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We invite you, God, and I pray that as I preach your word, Lord, you would equip us to live holy lives. God, we want to grow in maturity and in in Christ-likeness. Lord, we want to step into the best that you have for us. And so, as people are listening or watching now, God, would you be speaking to them? Would you be ministering to them? In Jesus' name, amen. So today, as we finish up the series, The Pursuit of Holiness, I am going to be looking a bit more about at how we can live a holy life. Because though we looked at this last week and Alice uh, quoted 1 Thessalonians 5.23, when it says that it's the Holy Spirit, it's God himself who makes us holy, it is also true, and we also read in Scripture, that the way that we live transforms us into holiness. Romans 6 puts this beautifully, starting in verse 19. It says this, Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now, you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, the things that end in death. But now, you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. What the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote this letter to Romans, is saying is he's saying how we live matters. How we live affects our holiness. We can live either in a way that leads to death and destruction ever more into sin, or we can live 
a life that leads to holiness, to eternal life. You know, I talked about this in uh, the second preach of this series, that to live a, a holy life is to live the best life possible because to be holy is to become like God himself. You know, God invites us to be holy because I am holy. And God, he's perfect. So his characteristics, his nature, his attributes, they are all the best possible character, nature and attributes available. And so when we become like him, we take those on. And you know, it's just logical, isn't it? That therefore is the best for us. Now that is the complete opposite of what culture would say is the best thing for us. You know, culture would say <laughs> to live your best life, you know, live your best life, is to be free, to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. You should be able to do whatever you feel like doing. And there's absolutely no way that anyone should tell you how to live, that they should impose any restrictions on your life. You know, throughout this series, we've talked about these sort of two ways of life, waging war against each other, the sinful desires and the, or the desires of the flesh battling the desires of the spirit. And last week, Alice uh, looked at this in a bit more detail. And, and she looked at how these two ways of living result in different things. And she quoted this beautiful passage of scripture from Galatians 5. Uh, and in the message version, it says this. This is where the Apostle Paul is contrasting the results of living in either of these two ways. And according to Paul, when we follow what the world calls freedom and we live in step with our sinful desires, it leads to this. This is Galatians 5, reading from 19. If we follow that way, it leads to repetitive loveless cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. So that's where one way of life leads. And then Paul contrasts this with the life of a fruit-filled, spirit-filled, holy life, that when we walk in step with the Spirit, it leads to, from verse 22, affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, we develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way into in life. We're able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. I don't know about you, but when I read those two lists, it's clear which one that I would want. You know, I don't want to be on that path that leads to destruction, that leads to death. I want to be on the path that leads to life. And these are the things that are on offer when God invites us to become holy as he is holy. That in gracious invitation to God's best for us it is to take on what we would commonly know as the fruits of the Spirit. So, you know, as I was reading those lists, you know, as I read that first list, do you see yourself in that? You know, are there patterns of sin in your life that you just can't seem to break free from? Maybe as I was reading it, you're like, yes, that I, there's just this bitterness in my heart towards this person that I can't seem to shake. 
or, or maybe you're just aware that you are addicted to shopping <laughs> and you are trying to fill the void in your life with clothes or gadgets and you just can never seem to fill the void. Maybe it's a bit more subtle than that. You're not quite sure, but you're just aware that underlyingly there's this pride or this need for c control that's going on in your heart. Let me ask you the question, where is the way that you are living your life leading? Is it on that path to destruction, to death, evermore into sin, to that first list we read? Or is it into life, to eternal life, into holiness, that second list that we read? Another way of asking that question is, who are you becoming? Are you becoming more forgiving, more hospitable, more merciful, more kind? Or are you becoming more irritated with people, more harsh, more judgmental? You know, again, back in that second preach of the series, I talked about the sin that so easily entangles us and referred to the verse from Hebrews 12, verse 1, where we get that language of, it, of sin entangling. Now, as, as we become aware of the sin in our life, as we become aware of the brokenness, it's easy to feel defeated. It's easy to feel deflated. It's easy to feel like there, is, there isn't hope that we'll ever be free from it. But let's just read that verse where we get that language of, of being entangled with sin in full. So this is Hebrews 12, verse 1, and the start of verse 2. It says this, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You see, Hebrews 12 verse 1 is actually talking about the sin that entangles in the context not of defeat, but of getting rid of it. Of not living out a life, not living life out of that sin, but running the race, our life with perseverance, with our eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, it doesn't talk about it in a hopeless sense. It talks about it in a full of hope sense. That we do not have to stay entangled. That it is possible to throw off that entanglement. So, how do we do this? That's a great question. You know, in the rest of Galatians 5, Paul unpacks the key to this. And this is an idea that we find uh, throughout the rest of the New Testament as well. But in Galatians 5, verse 16, Paul says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then forward to verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the key, that we would live in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, it means to be in unison, in time, in alignment. You know, the picture I get is of an army marching on parade, you know, where they are all in line, in step, in unison, together. I heard a, a helpful example of this um, from Bill Johnson, who's the pastor of Bethel Church in uh, California. Um, just this week I heard it, and he was talking about how when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him uh, in the form of a dove. You can read about this in the Gospels, and, and in the Gospel of John, uh, it, it adds this phrase that the other Gospels don't add. It says that it descended like a dove onto his shoulder, and it remained there. And Bill Johnson goes on basically to talk through this example, and he says, 
what would it look like to live in a way that protects the dove on your shoulder? You know, imagine I've got a dove on my shoulder right now. If I want to keep it on my shoulder, how am I going to move around this room? I'm not going to move too far, otherwise I'll come off screen. But how am I going to move? I'm going to move carefully, aren't I? Smoothly. I'm going to, every step I take will be considering how I keep this dove on my shoulder. I'm not suddenly going to flip around. I'm not going to jump across because I want to keep this dove on my shoulder. Now look, every analogy has its limits, obviously, but I think this is a helpful way to see what living a holy life is like. That we live in a way that acknowledges the presence of the Holy Spirit in and on us. And that in doing that, we would then try and protect the dove on our shoulder. We'd say, Lord, I don't want to live in a way that is going to offend this dove. You know, is the way that I'm interacting with my colleagues in step with the dove on my shoulder? Is the way that I'm treating my housemate or my spouse in step with the dove on my shoulder? You know, the reality is living in, sorry, walking in a way that keeps the dove on your shoulder, living a life that's holy does include certain do's and certain don'ts. You know, the scriptures, they give us clear guidance on how to live. They say love one another. They give us guidance on how to treat people graciously. They give us uh, guidelines to, for what to do when we're offended, to forgive, for how to respond to our enemies, to pray for them, and so on and so on. The scriptures are clear. And as we read them, we will read both restrictions on our lives and invitations into a new way of life as we live out holiness. Many of us, though, have only ever focused on the restrictions that holiness imposes. We've seen it as a list of things that we can't do. Now, hopefully, over this series, we've broken down that misunderstanding. Um, you've seen that God's holiness is actually an invitation into the best way of life possible. But as we mention do's and don'ts, as I talk about that and we start to think about our behaviours, the danger is that we can fall into that misunderstanding and then we can fall into actually this thing that many of us will know as legalism. But you see, the motivator for holiness isn't legalism, it's love. The goal of holiness isn't to tick a box of right behaviour, but to enter more deeply into loving relationship with God. You know, I don't walk across around here carefully in order to say, oh, look how carefully I've stepped. I walk carefully to keep the dove on my shoulder. Let me give another example that might help with this. Within marriage, there are certain do's and don'ts, aren't there? You know, there are big universal ones like faithfulness and honour and kindness of serving one another, of preferring the other. And then there are you know, small ones that each couple <laughs> develop, like in our household, you know, who puts the bins out and who does the washing up and who cleans the bathroom. You know, those kind of things. I'm not going to say, it's all me. Those three are me. Claire does lots as well. But you know what? There are restrictions on my life because I'm married. I can't just do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do. I can't follow any lustful desire that may creep into my heart. I can't follow any selfish desire that may rear its head. But you see, those restrictions on my life actually give me the great freedom of intimacy and relationship with Claire. Those parameters on my life 
allow me to live in safety and trust and companionship with Claire. You know, I don't honor Claire for the sake of it. I honor her because in doing so, I'm creating the best atmosphere for a healthy marriage. You know, the same is true for walking in step with the Holy Spirit, for living a holy life. Sure, there are things we don't do, but in not doing them, it creates intimacy between us and the Father. So, well, how do we do this then? How do we walk in step? How do we walk carefully? How do we walk in mind with the dove? I asked them that question earlier, who are you becoming? Is the way you're living leading to goodness or to destruction? And the reality is in this moment, we could unpick a bunch of different behaviors. And there is a time and a place for that. But what I want to do is I want to look at an underlying principle that affects all of our behaviors and all of the way we live. And it's this, that where we abide shapes who we are. Now, I'm aware if you're maybe new to church or new to Christianity, this term abide is a bit of an odd one. You know, like if I went to the gym tomorrow morning and in my gym class, you know, was chatting to the guys and said, oh, like, you know, like, hey guys, like, how you doing? How's your week been? Like, where have you been abiding? I'm going to get some really odd looks, aren't I? They're going to be a bit confused. But you see, this idea of abiding is one that we find loads in the New Testament, especially in the writings of the Apostle John, both in his gospel and then also in his letters. The Greek word that um, is translated abide throughout the New Testament is this word meno, which you, know, you can translate a number of different ways. Abide, remain, stay, live, dwell, continue, last, persist. This idea is that to abide is to live somewhere, not just to visit it, but to dwell, to be a resident. The one who abides is the one who does not leave the sphere or realm in which they find themselves. They remain there permanently, like a fish, you know? A fish abides in water because to leave would be to die, <laughs> you know? And so that is how we are called to abide in Christ. You know, we're talking about infusing all of our life with an awareness of God's presence, with an awareness of the dove on our shoulder, an awareness of his great love for us, that we would live in the love of God, the way that a fish lives in water, constantly surrounded by it, constantly sustained by it. You know, if this language of abiding uh, is a little bit confusing for you, that is okay. Uh, maybe a helpful way for you to phrase it would be, you become what you consume. You know, it's this reality that what we fill our minds with, what we fill our hearts with, what we fill our time with, will shape who we become. And so, to use that language, what are you filling your mind with? <laughs> what are you filling your time with? In 1 John uh, 3 verse 6, the Apostle John says a remarkable thing. He says, no one who abides in Jesus keeps on sinning. Now, this verse has led to many of us feeling condemned when we still have sin in our life. Uh, and Simon Ponsonby, who we've referred to throughout this whole series and has been really helpful for us as we've prepared it, he, he explains why we shouldn't respond like that. He says this, John's intention is as much pastoral as theological. It's a statement of hope and of how the hope that we can have in truth to be free of sin and the how of abiding in him. John concluded that to the extent that we abide in the sinless one, we will be sinless. 
you know, what Simon's saying here is we should be full of optimism. We should see this statement that the Apostle John is making as optimistic. Optimistic that it is possible to live a life free from the patterns of sin, free from the bondage of sin. That the parents who react with outbursts of temper at their children can be gentle and patient. That the person addicted to pornography can be clean. That the person absorbed in self-pity and constantly craving other people's affirmation can be secure. That the boss who makes his colleagues' lives a misery by control and abuse can become kind. That the consumer who buys and buys and buys just to impress others can be content. That the arrogant and condescending can walk humbly. That the vulgar-minded and vulgar-mouthed can be made pure. It's this hope, this optimism, that the sin that clings to us can be cleared away, that patterns of sin, that programs of addiction can be broken. How? It's by abiding in Christ, not by abiding in sin. You know, many of us abide in sin without even realizing it. The person addicted to porn often abides at their computer screen for so much of their life, being one click away. The greedy consumer abides in magazines or shop windows or scrolling through ASOS, filling their mind. The self-pitying abide in painful memories. The arrogant and proud abide in their achievements. You know, we consume box sets that feed our mind with a worldview that you can't trust people. We consume social media that feeds our hearts with comparison. We consume the philosophy of individualism that feeds our entitlement. You know, as Christians, we are meant to live and move and have our being in Christ. Yet for many of us, who are strangled by this sin, what is actually the case is that we live and we move and we have our being in our sin, that we abide in those patterns of behavior. You know, how many of us, like, we want to be free, don't we? We want to be free from that sin that entangles. We don't want to have to come to the, the front of church and pray for that certain issue again, do we? And we can feel defeated, like, is it possible? But yes, freedom is possible. Freedom can come. There is genuine hope of living a holy life. The key is to abide with Christ. So let me ask you again, where are you abiding? What are you filling your heart, your mind, your time with? What changes do you maybe need to make to your coming weeks in order to shift where you abide. You know, where does the place you abide lead you? Does it lead you to Jesus or does it lead you away from him? So look, as I come into land, <laughs> there's the obvious question, isn't there? Well, how do we abide? And there are, there are lots of different helpful ways of doing this, lots of helpful practices and rhythms. And we've looked at some in the past when we launched Live Like Jesus Discipleship Framework and we will continue to look at them. But I just want to pull out one thing from Jesus' teaching on abiding that I think is really key and is the, the message the Lord has for us. In John 15, Jesus is teaching about abiding, and, and it's a famous chapter. Uh, it's where he talks about being the true vine and how we're all connected to him. And we get to verse 10, where he says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is saying it's really simple. If we want to abide in him, 
if we want to abide in his love, if we want to live in, with an awareness of his love, then we need to keep his commandments. We need to follow the way of life that is mapped out in scripture. We need to not compromise on the truth of the Bible. Simon Ponsonby, to refer to him again, puts it like this. If it is holiness we are after, then it is scripture we must study. For in God's word is revealed God's will for us and his way to that will. Again, some people seek to put, um, to put on the pastor or the counsellor the responsibility for their holiness. Getting someone else to pray for them, someone else to study for them, someone else to direct them. We should be constantly directing people back to the scriptures to meet God personally there, to hear him and to heed him. You know, if we want to live a holy life, we need to follow what the Bible says. And here is where many of us come to a sticking point. And this sticking point is something that I feel like God has been pressing on me for this entire series. Uh, and it's the sticking point that I, I see at times in my own heart and I see it too much across the Western church. And this sticking point is this, that we read something in the scriptures that challenges us. Ultimately, really what's happening underlyingly is, it is a, it's offending us. It's offending our sinful desires. And what happens then is we use that offense as an excuse to either ignore what the Bible says or to compromise on it. To say, well, you know, God didn't really mean this. Like, you know, that was just cultural. That was back in those days. We, you know, we're a bit more enlightened now. I see it too much and I see it in my heart as well. God's holiness is the best for us, but it is also uncomfortable for us because it confronts and it offends all of our sinful desires. You know, when Jesus says to look with lust at someone is to commit adultery, that is confronting and offensive to our highly sexualized culture that values sexual promiscuity and sexual freedom above pretty much everything else. You know, when Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that flies in the face of our individualistic society that says, look after number one. If someone's toxic, cut them out of your life. When Jesus invites us to serve with complete humility by washing others' feet, that confronts our pride. When Jesus says to forgive no matter what, that confronts our entitlement and our anger. I could go on and on and on. And too, too often what happens is that we feel uncomfortable and then we pull away from the way of Jesus. We feel confronted and so then we compromise. And God, and what happens is we say, God, in this moment, your ways are not higher than my ways. I think I know best. And if we want to abide, if we want to live a holy life, if we want to step into the freedom from sin that God is offering us, we have to submit to the scriptures. We have to say, Jesus, help me follow your commandments so that I can live in holiness. I love that in you know, the very next verse, after Jesus has said, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. He says this, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be full in you and that your joy may also be full. See, when scripture confronts and offends us, our sinful nature wants to lie to us like the serpent lied to Eve in the garden. It's the same lie. God doesn't know best for you. He 
His ways won't lead to fullness of life. He's trying to keep something from you. Hopefully, you know, over this whole series, you have grasped that that isn't the truth. That God's holiness is an invitation into the best way of life where we become fully alive. But for us to actually step into that and to walk in that, what, what we need to do is we need to submit to the scriptures. And I think that's the message the Lord has for us. Would we be a people that would submit to his truth, that would not compromise on his truth, that when we feel confronted, when we feel offended, when something rises up in us, that we wouldn't use that as an excuse to close the Bible and put it away and say, I'm going to live my own way. But we would sit with that offense, so we'd take it to the Lord, would allow him to soften and to change our hearts. You know, as we close out this series, you know, this is not the end of pursuing holiness. This is not the totality of living a holy life. This is just the start. But my prayer is that we would grasp the fullness of what God's been inviting us into. That you would know that holiness is his best for you, not his burden for you. That though, yes, there are some do's and don'ts and that we need to take seriously living a holy life. That when we do, that leads to fullness of life that that leads to becoming fully alive, full of the joy of the Lord, that it is worth it. God invites us to be holy as he is holy. And I think one of the most important things we can do as we start to walk out that journey over the coming months is that we can study the scriptures, we can come before them and we can submit to them. And we say, Lord, your ways are higher than my ways. Jesus, help me take seriously your commands. Help me live your way. And as we do that, we will become holy as he is holy.